Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan read the paper on uh, Sunday, November 7th. Correct. 2021. Yep. And it's a pretty nice day, crisp fall day. Yeah, it was great. It's great. Went out for a little bike ride. Yeah, we'll get to biking in a few minutes. We are oh, the okay. kings of biking in November. There's no question about it. I don't see anyone else in our, uh, in our league in that connection. Um, but we went to a movie this week. That hasn't happened in a long, long time, right? No, well, not that long. We were we were huh. going for a while, and then the Delta variant made things yeah, just and complicated. Uh, new rules and restrictions, whatever. But we braved it. Uh, we went to Doylestown Theater, a little community type theater, county and, theater, county theater, right? And uh, we saw the French Dispatch. We were moved to see the French Dispatch, the Wes Anderson movie. Uh, so, uh, what did you think? It was very Wes Anderson. It was very Wes <laughs> Anderson. That's right. I mean, I don't consider myself an expert in Wes Anderson, but that's what the reviews all say, and I've seen enough, I think we've seen enough, to sort of make that resonate. It was, uh, it, it was highly stylized. How's that? Highly yeah. stylized. And, uh, just, just for a quick background, for those who haven't seen it or are not familiar what Wes Anderson does in this film is that he has sort of crafted an homage to the New Yorker, at least the New Yorker as it existed, I don't know, 40 years ago. And uh, he came comes up with a, uh, a fictional magazine name called... M- more than 40 years ago. Uh, in the right? 70s, up until the 70s, up until the change of... Uh, okay. And because 40 uh, years ago is only the 80s. Okay, sorry, 50. And uh, the French Dispatch is the name of his New Yorker equivalent. And what he does here is he, um, in this highly stylized treatment, he presents the various personalities who would have existed at the New Yorker around that time or even for years before, or in some case, composite characters. And he um, puts forward three different stories. Uh, there are film versions of New Yorker stories uh, with the New Yorker reporter in the story. So uh, you're getting a sense of the New Yorker approach, the New Yorker style. You're getting a sense of the personality of the writers at the time and their sensibilities. Um, and it's... Uh, well, they're, it, it's interesting. They're, they're stories that are inspired by the styles of those various That's writers true. and by... Sort of the the taste of the New Yorker. Yes, okay. I think that's it's, true. Well, it's, it's his fantasy world. Exactly. I don't know if it's inspired by that. It's inspired by it's a, it's in also, a fantasy town in France. And it's all and they're crafted in such a way to sort of to sort of illustrate that New Yorker style yes. and that New Yorker writing style. Right. That's what it, the stories themselves are kind of drivel, honestly. But but they do serve to, as you suggest, illustrate uh, what the New Yorker sensibility is and. Um, I, you know, I thought the movie was really interesting. I mean, uh, it's a it's a quirky kind of filmmaking. It's by no means realistic. I pulled here from the review in the New York Magazine uh, by a woman named Allison Wilmore, and this I thought uh, a line was kind of hit home. The artificiality of Anderson's work has always been a feature, not a bug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you have to go with that. But I do think it's a feature, uh, not a bug. Um, it's very engaging. Uh, to me, it was very, draws you in. And some of the characters uh, really draw you in. And the dialogue, um, 
it, which is what gives you a sense of what these folks are writing and how they're seeing the world and how they're combining the, their worldview with their own behavior is uh, phenomenal I th- in certain spurts, in certain spurts, uh, don't, don't you think? Way over my head. Oh, get out of here. Get no, out no, no, of here. I'm not kidding. I, not... I just, uh, I, there's a lot I didn't get. Yeah, and, sure, uh, sure, sure. Maybe there is one I didn't I'm get to. I'm not familiar enough with any of these writers or their styles. Oh no, 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 to no, no. to but, get any of that. But listen, and, I, I don't. I'm not. You know, I'm not concerned about plugging into any particular writer's sensibility. But I do think the notion of uh, New York or even uh, literary tastes as they existed as you've corrected me 50 years ago, or 60 years ago, or 70 years ago, with uh, uh, sort of a, a devotion, if not an obsession, with. Uh, with craft, with a certain way of presentation, with a certain style, even style above okay, substance. Yeah, all right. Uh, all I, that's I, there. If you're not familiar, you don't get it. Oh, okay. It's, it's, and, did you uh, not enjoy it, the movie? Or it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. You know, and parts of it were delightful. Yeah. But uh, there were times when I was looking at my watch. Yeah, sure. And uh, there were times when I was saying, well, the person behind me is laughing like crazy. I'm not. Yes. I don't get it. I know that person. That person was <laughs> off. That person was just laughing at the wrong times. So I, I don't you know gotta about get used that. To being I don't know about I that. do know about it. I mean, that person anyway, was laughing at, at the wrong times. It's not for everyone. Well, you can say that, and I think you're right. But uh, Because no is, one's going. <laughs> the question is, how do you, well, they're not making too much money, that's yeah. for sure. But um, that, there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, just the normal movie-going public is, is sort of absent. I mean, and just to mention some of the, you know, there are fun people in it. Yeah. Owen Wilson was fun. Yeah, T- and, Tilda Swinton is great. So Tilda Swinton is is playing this woman who's sort of an art critic, become art teacher, art aficionado, art purchaser, a doyen of the art world. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. A doyen of the art world, um, and it turns out it's it's she's patterned after a person named Rosamund uh, Bernier, mm-hmm. uh, who you. You will recognize that name. Oh, yeah. I would see her name in the... Um, when she was older, much older. Right. She would be listed in the catalog of lectures at the Met. And it was, you know, as if people were genuflecting. I mean, all she had to do was open her mouth and people were delighted. So yeah. um, I, I never went to one of her lectures, but uh, she she seemed... Very much. Well, she, she we looked her up. She was kind of an interesting person. She had various stops and starts in what you might call her All career. Right, let's not go into her I'm now. Not, but, but are, we, are we doing this on each of the characters? Tilda Swinton was was great. Um, no, yeah. I'm just uh, okay. calling out certain people. Adrian Brody was was really interesting, I thought. was great. Um, well, yeah, he did a turn as a um, French, you know, a Parisian art dealer. Right. And uh, But my favorite was Jeffrey Wright. And uh, he played a, a James Baldwin. They keep saying a James Baldwin, A.G. A.J. Liebling type character, and I can't process that completely. But I, I, there's one line where he's being interviewed, which sort of sets up that third segment. And they say, "And you were recalling it to me. Do you have a photographic memory?" And he said, "No, I have a typographic memory. I remember every word I ever wrote." And he goes on to speak for the next fifteen minutes. The Baldwin character. The Baldwin says, character, yeah. right, Jeffrey Wright. And he goes on to speak for the next fifteen minutes almost as if he were reciting from memory an article that he wrote, which is beautifully written, very articulate and very amusing. Uh and uh it is uh, it's great. I thought that last segment was great. Yes, the, not every segment was great, and there right. were certainly some slow moments. But uh I enjoyed it a great deal. Okay, good. Good for you. All right. Duly well, noted. Yeah, well, you know, I don't get out too much. Have to make it count. You're having a banner year between uh, Sir Gawain 
and the Green Knight. Yes, yeah, Wes Anderson. I did get something out. You're of having it. a lot of fun. Well, I, I'm, uh, you know, I go for a certain. Kind I tell you, of, you know uh, what I'm after... waiting for. What? I'm waiting for. Well, oh, I don't. I don't have it with me. Uh, oh, I, I know the Ricardos movie. Yes, the Ricardos. The Aaron Sorkin has Adam's... written and directed a movie about uh, Ricky Ricardo and Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball with. And, with... Uh, with um, Nico del Toro, I think. Is, is that no, his? no, 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 no. Oh, Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem and uh, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman as Lucy. <laughs> it seems, and and uh, it just seems bizarre it's called, it's that you have these, the all these heavyweights involved well, in a biopic. Kind I have of to thing. say, I looked at the they had that listing of movies and um, the the upcoming movies yes, for the holiday season. Yes, and that is the one that's you found it, but uh, that's head and shoulders above anything else in terms of anticipation. Look, look, you never know. You never know. In other words, I think it's going to be terrible, but uh, <laughs> I'm interested to see what happens. I did note them. They're How making, can it be that terrible if it's got all those cool people? It, it can be awful. I mean, it, well, let me put it this way: it will be interesting. We'll see what they do. I did not notice they're uh, they're making a movie of the humans. Yeah, uh, which is a great. A play, but that's wonderful a play. boy. That's a play. I mean, how that going to make that into a movie? I can't imagine. No. Um, and then, no, there's there's a lot of stuff coming out, and uh, but well, you but can you never know, spot by the little summaries of the plots well, what's going to. What I did notice in what they described, there seemed an inordinate number of one documentaries, and right. two horror films, and right. and if you exclude the documentaries and the horror films, you're left with about thirty percent of the rest. So, uh, I don't know what that tells us. I, I can't I, I say. I don't know either. But I think people are, you know, always interested in a good scare. Maybe, or maybe just that's the kind of movie they're able to make. And I did see a thing on maybe the television that uh, said uh, being scared is good for you. It's healthy. Yeah, well, then it must be true. If you saw it on television, uh, <laughs> so it's definitely everybody's going to be very healthy after yeah. this season. That's anyway, moving right advice, along yeah. here. Uh, so as you said, uh, as I said, we went for a bike ride today, and there was a f- uh, fun article in the Metropolitan section of the New York Times about the Empire State Trail, which is 750 miles of a bike path mm-hmm. in New York State. It's shaped kind of like a... T on its side. Mm-hmm. There are two basic uh, parts to it. One goes from New York City to Canada, mm-hmm. like straight up. Right. And the other goes from Buffalo to Albany. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I have to say, this is one of those situations where the online version of the article was better mm-hmm. than the one in the paper because they had glorious pictures Mm -hmm. and the photographs don't really come across on the newsprint uh, as well as they do uh, on the screen. So it was fun to, uh, they had two uh, reporters. One does one ride, the other does the other ride. Mm -hmm. And uh, they they describe going, uh, you know, what it's like, what the sights are, what the conditions were. And the fun thing was uh, the um, the sh- uh, what's it called the Buffalo to Albany Trail, uh, which is about three hundred and sixty miles, tracks along the Erie Canal, mm-hmm. 
And so that was fun for me because, you know, the kids and I had uh, done some canaling in our time and uh, they stopped at some of the same sites like Lockport that we had stopped uh, in the canal. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was fun to read about that. Well, that that must also mean that it's flat if it's along the canal. um, Not all of it is flat. They said, um, because, you know, it's not 100% by the canal, but... Mm -hmm. um, the writer said that if you start from Buffalo, mm. heading east, it's basically downhill. So there is that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the um, the other ride, which is a combination of something called the Hudson Valley Greenway Trail and the Champlain Valley Trail, um, has some really hilly parts to it. But it was it was a good description. Not a, a fair amount is on bike paths Mm -hmm. but uh there are times when you have to go on the street and you know through various cities uh but uh it it sounds like fun and they recommend you know the the writer doing the north south trip or south to north trip she did it in bits she would drive to location where she left off before and start up and then, you know, her husband would drive her back home mm-hmm. at the end. She didn't stay over mm-hmm. any time, you know, partly because of COVID concerns and, you know, um, being able to get to accommodations. Uh, the other people did a combination of, you know, camping and, and uh, hoteling. Ooh, and, camping. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. And, uh, well, along the canal, there are places where you can just camp. Yeah. And uh, they were a little surprised by that. And it was kind of, they're just these spots that are kind of very exposed and out in the open. So it's not the greatest camping, but you could stop there if you wanted. But by now it's got to be too chilly to do those rides. Oh, yeah. We we were Yeah, I think the idea here is that uh, they're telling you so you can plan ahead. I see. Because it's it's a big trip. If you wanted to do the whole trip, like take a week and uh, do that Mm -hmm. if you do the one trip you know it's like 50 miles a day Mm -hmm. which is not nothing but it's it's complete it's doable yeah but we were out today it was in the 40s and and you're feeling it in the 40s on a bike so well literally it was 52 but who's counting don't say that but anyway um that was uh a nice article biking the majestic empire state trail and new york state is a beautiful state Mm -hmm. so um that sounds like it would be fun, and I'm glad that uh, they put all that effort and money into that trail. Then in the uh, Wall Street Journal, I saw a very interesting article yesterday about smell, okay? And uh, what, this is by Jude Stewart, and it starts out, what does your body's smell reveal about you? A lot as it happens, your age, your diet, your emotions, how robust your immune system is. If you're getting sick, it might even reveal who you might marry. Your body is constantly radiating information, and this information leaks into the air in smells. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, you knew that anyway. No, not only do I not know it, but I doubt it. No, I mean, mean, you you certainly know it to the level of people know if you've been exercising by how you smell or if you've been eating Italian food by how you smell. But the the funny thing, the interesting thing here is that uh, apparently, um, I mean, it's just a fun article and it's from a book 
that uh, Ms. Stewart has coming out, Revelations in Air, a guidebook to smell, which would be fun to read. Turns out um, mothers can recognize their babies by smell yeah, you, incredibly rapidly you after only spending a couple of minutes uh, with the baby. Yeah. They've done these studies and they test the mothers and they identify their child by smell um, almost immediately. Also, the newborns themselves. They will take the newborns and expose them to uh, some cloth that has been saturated with the mother's breast smell. Yeah. And, you know, they have one with and one without. And the babies generally turn towards the mother's smell. But you were saying, and this is, I guess, consistent with what you just uh, mentioned, that uh, they did some tests. Uh, mothers were uh, exposed to the smells of a number of babies. Uh, and they were able to pick out their baby. Yes, but here's the weird Short thing: in, shortly fathers after the child was born. can too. And the fathers in this, can too? yeah. Oh my god! I mean, how uh, is that possible? I, it is. It, it doesn't is. make it any just, sense. It's a, just a p- very powerful. How, the, smell is a very powerful. Yes, thing. but how are they going to know it? Which, you know, the father walks in. They say, "Okay, I know you haven't even seen the baby yet, but here are eight smells. Which is your baby?" <laughs> Your brain is, you know, taking in all this information and digesting it. How do you know? How does the father know what the baby's about? I don't know. Uh, So that's very cool. Also, uh, I mean, you've heard stuff about when people are getting sick, dogs can um, identify them. Maybe, yes. No. um, You know, I've heard various, uh, you know... um, levels of confidence yeah. in this. Um, you know, they have, uh, uh, well, anyway, I should say that uh, they did one study, a French-Lebanese team trained 18 dogs to sniff out COVID-19 mm-hmm. and taste, tested their two best performing dogs in an airport trial. The canines sniffed out negative results with 100% accuracy and positive cases with 92% accuracy. Hmm. So the the dogs can spot that. Um, so and, and that's not a new thing. Diagnosis uh, yeah, by bodily that. smell. Right. Right. You know, typhus bodies smelled like baked brown bread, tuberculosis, stale beer, the plague. You smelled like overripe apples, etc. Um, there was also an interesting thing. Your gender preference, okay, can be detected by smell to some extent. Um, There was a study done where when asked in one study to sniff t-shirts worn by gay or straight men, gay men identified and preferred the smell of other gay men. The same held true for lesbian consorts. Uh, So it's just a really fun article about all these things. Um, The uh, people... um, there was a study done where people are smelling the armpits of t-shirts worn by somebody watching a uh, scary movie and they react to that smell the people being tested react to that armpit smell with fear themselves or if the people were watching a disgusting movie with disgust okay so I'm just shaking my smell head. is a powerful thing and we as humans I think don't even use it as much as the animals do right and uh, and we have a lot of we have a lot of receptors. We use four hundred receptors. There are like billions of receptors we could be using. So, but I think that's uh, you know 
It's right. very interesting. Mother Nature, you know, programming us. Well, it is kind of amazing, but to... I'm not. I'm a little dubious. But yeah, okay. Uh, even if it's you know sixty percent. Well, we always wonder. You know, I mean, uh, the babies, the grandbabies, would be happy to see us. It seemed, and we say, but they can't even see really yet. How mm. do they even know it's us? Well, mm. it's the smell. Could be the voice. To some extent, yeah. Mm. Right. But even so, that combination of factors, probably. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Tom uh, Matty passed away. Uh, and who is Tom Matty? That's sort of the point. Uh, Tom Matty played for the uh, Colts. Uh, i got to do my math a little bit better. 50, 56 years ago. I mean, in 1965 is the season where Tom Matty came to greatest attention. He was a running back for the Colts. And what happened then is the season headed toward the climax of the playoffs uh, Johnny Unitas, the uh, quarterback for the Colts, got hurt, and he was out. Johnny Unitas at that time being considered the greatest quarterback of all time. It then fell to his backup, a fellow named Gary Cuazzo. Gary Cuazzo, famous for being the only quarterback I know in the NFL who was an orthodontist, uh, and quite a successful orthodontist in a family practice started by his father and continued with his, his son. But putting that aside, Gary Cuazzo got hurt very soon afterwards. So as they headed toward the end of the season— Approaching the playoffs, the Colts had no quarterback. In uh, that time, uh, they would only carry two quarterbacks and have a lot of other folks sitting around. So they turned to Tom Matty, a running back, and they asked him to play quarterback. Now, to be fair, Matty played quarterback at Ohio State in college, but Ohio State with Woody Hayes didn't pass at all. So he wasn't trained as a quarterback. He came in to play the final game of the season against the Rams, uh, which would sort of determine uh, seating uh, for the playoffs. And uh, amazingly, uh, the Colts uh, won the game, won the game, 20-17, to 17, a game in which Tom uh, Matt, Matty as quarterback did not complete a single pass. I want you to think <laughs> about that. If you watch the NFL now, if you can imagine that you could win a game with your quarterback not completing a single pass, that's what happened. Uh, and then they went to the playoffs, and who do they have playing quarterback but Tom Matty? And uh, he had all the plays written on a vinyl wristband. And he got in there against the Packers, who were a tough, tough team. And they almost beat the Packers. He completed five passes that day. Um, and they almost beat the Packers. The Packers had a field goal in the last seconds. It's disputed as to whether it was good or not. They didn't have to replay in those days. And the Packers won in overtime. And the Colts were knocked out of the playoffs. But the Colts fans were so... Uh, grateful to Tom Matty, and they thought what he had done was so heroic that uh, when the, he got to the airport at the end of the game, uh, they the fans lifted Matty onto their shoulders, uh-huh. even though they had lost the game. And somehow he had discarded at that time the uh, the vinyl uh, wristband with the plays, and a sports writer picked it up, and it is now uh, in Canton, Ohio, in the football. <laughs> Hall of Fame. This was a big right. deal at the time. Uh-huh. The strangest thing is that he actually had his best game in the Super Bowl in 1969 when the Colts played the Jets. Um, he ran as a running back for 116 yards, which is uh, mm-hmm. extremely impressive. But, of course, no one remembers that because the Colts lost the game mm-hmm. to Namath and the Jets. Uh, so, in any event, uh, I remember Tom Matty very well. And those, mm-hmm. those were games that I know it's... You may say, well, he completed, he won the game, they didn't complete a pass. That was 100,000 years ago. It wasn't that night and day different. It was weird even then to, to, okay. to win a game. All right. 
Tom Matty. Tom Matty. I knew you would know growing up in Maryland. I did, did not know. Oh, don't say no. that. No. Don't say that. No. We we did not pay attention to the Oh, books. sorry. You were a little girl. We were Redskins. You were a very Redskins. young girl in 1965. Anyway, so uh, the uh, the cleanse continues. Yes. And uh, a couple days ago, I was going through all the picture books yeah. we have, the children's books. Yeah. You know, we're going through all the books, trying to um, cull Trying to curate, trying to get rid of some books. There you it's go. very hard. Mm. It's very hard. Oh, we have excellent books. You know what? You get attached, and you think, "Well, that was good." You know, maybe I'll read that again. Yeah. And uh, silly things like that. Anyway, so it's very hard. I'm delighted to see the children's books, but as I'm going through the books, out of one of the big books falls a kind of brochure, and I look at it, and it's. A lingerie catalog from 1976, Mm -hmm. the Bloomingdale's insert in Mm -hmm. the New York Times, Mm -hmm. September 1976. It was called Size and Whispers. And uh, the photography was done by a French uh, photographer, Guy Bourdin. And uh, it was such a um, sensation at the time. Because, I mean, we're looking at it now. It doesn't seem particularly racy, okay? But it wasn't so much that it was racy. It was was not typical lingerie catalog with, you know, a flattering shot of a young woman in underwear. It it had narratives. It seemed to be saying something's going on. It has three people Mm. in gowns, you know, nightgowns with shocked expressions looking at each other, you know, et cetera, and so forth. So um, it was clear that it was something at the time. Well, the amazing thing is you saved it. And I I saved it. And who would save save a catlog for, I don't know, you tell me, 50 years, 60 years, whatever. Yeah, uh, a million and so, years. And so the funny thing is, you know, it is funny. It's not that. Uh, I mean, it's described uh, uh, as being smoldering satin eroticism. Well, but, but uh, it doesn't seem that. But here's the weird to thing. Me. So you come in, you say to me, "Look at this," and I say, "Okay, it's a lingerie catalog. You have my attention. What are we talking about?" And then you show me, "Well, it's worth a lot of money." I said, "What are you talking about?" And well, you, I googled it, and. Here's, here's the punchline. I, well, I, I do come across uh, it selling for uh, $1,490. Yeah. It's a $1,500 catalog. But here's here's the deal. Yeah. In 2005. Oh, you think it's gone down since then? Well, I you know, then I, it, if you just Google it, okay, Size and Whispers Bloomingdale's, yeah. um, you will see many offers for it. Not many, but you will see offers for it on Etsy on eBay, mm-hmm. and some other um, used book sellers, right. all in the range of 300 to 400 and change. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that tells you something. But I I also found a record of an auction where it recently sold for 90 But that was a catalog in bad shape. Look, let's face it. Our ship has come in now. <laughs> With all the stuff, all the cleansing, all the throwing out, all the identification, and all the getting less than well, full value for things. why was I keeping it with the children's uh, but, picture but, books? So for every bureau that you sold for a uh, hundred bucks that's worth much more than that, now you, you, for, you got a catalog which is worth six dollars. 
you're going to get $1,500 for it. This, this no, I'm not, not, not going to get $1,500. At least. But it is funny. that uh, It's, it's funny that I would save it. Yes, that's the strangest funny that, thing. Uh, at least for a moment, it was very valuable. Our ship has come in. I, th- I think you want to be careful not to hang on to things because no, no, no. This, at a certain point, their value you, drops. This tells you the opposite. Okay, and here's the, just quickly, Wall Street Journal um, Museum Update. Well, this is good, too, because this is about a Rubens, and we've held on to all the Rubens, haven't we? <laughs> This is an uh, uh, exhibition uh, that's uh, at the uh, Getty Villa yeah. in um, L.A. We yeah. have not been to the villa. We've been to... We've been to the museum. Yeah. Um, so the... Uh, and uh, it's an exhibition that's opening soon. And it's about... Um, it's called... Ins- it's called Inspired by Antiquity. Is it Rubens Picturing Antiquity? Yeah. All right. This opens November 10th. Um, and uh, it's uh, they show one painting, the Caledonia Boar Hunt, and it's just demonstrating that when Rubens was painting, he was uh, using all kinds of antique sources for to to depict to create his stories. So he goes to Italy mm. and he's sketching all these uh, um, fragments of ancient sculptures. And he's seeing ancient sarcophagi that depict uh, the stories, etc., and so forth. And so this is just putting together the painting and uh, his sketches of the ancient uh, works, and in some cases, the actual ancient works themselves, these sarcophagus that this painting is based on. And it shows you because all the rage during the Renaissance are these classical arts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, you know... Rubens is up north in Antwerp, and he goes down. Oh, see, see this is where you threw me. I thought he was Italian. He's not Italian. No, no. Well, mm-hmm. he was Italian in many ways. He probably thought of himself as Italian. Rubens was a rock star, okay? Yeah. He spoke and wrote many languages, and he um, he travels to Italy. He sees but what's he, going on. he's from on. the Netherlands, he trained. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. And he learns all this that's going on. His first trip to Italy, his first trip to Italy, okay, he becomes the court painter for the Gonzagas in Mantua, right, gets sent to Spain on a diplomatic mission, Mm -hmm. okay, and uh, that involves painting, of course. I mean, he was quite, quite a guy. So this would be fun to go see when you see, you know, the Italians have been doing this for a long time, looking at the ancient works and kind of tucking them into uh, their paintings, uh, you know, uh, here and there. And people saying, oh, yes, I see what you're doing there, you know. Um, that's the Belvedere torso, the way that guy is standing, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, there's another fun exhibition at the um, Getty Villa. Really? Of Assyrian... Um, battle scenes oh. and mm. and miscellaneous it, it, it's those uh, wonderful panels of gypsum uh from the assyrians and you remember my favorite one from the, it's owned by the british museum it's in the getty villa right now it's a great depiction of asher banapal from the seventh century mm-hmm. okay uh bc and uh he is it's there's a banquet in his garden. He's with his wife. They're sipping cocktails, 
okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there are musicians, there are servants bringing them more food. There are decorations in the trees around them as they're sitting there in their garden having this little party. Part of the decorations, okay? The deca- decapitated head of the enemy. Oh, All right. All right. Et cetera I'm and so forth. Glad you're because the on Assyrians it. were on the brutal side. Yeah. And so um, murals like this uh, uh, were meant to intimidate. Yes. All right. So um, the World Series has ended. And what happens, uh, and as you know, the Braves ended, won. Your mother, ended. not was they had your mother thought with a 3 1 lead. The Braves had only a very slight chance of this winning. Was, she they said to me, to well, I was a little nervous, but really, um, you know, it's time for somebody else to win. Somebody else besides whom? I guess the Astros. The Astros won once a few years ago. You know, there, there are, of the of all the major sports, uh, baseball is the one in which there are, there's a new winner almost every year in the last 10 or 15 years. You haven't had a repeat World Series winner uh, for like 15 years when the Yankees won it twice in a row. So, in any event, not to cast any aspersions on your mother's baseball knowledge. Um, but there was an article about the World Series rings. And as you'd expect, you know, uh, big gaudy rings go to the winner of the World Series. The owners make them up to reward the players. Uh, you have it in football also. And they say people hardly ever wear the rings. Well, they're huge. They're so huge and so gaudy and so impossible and probably valuable to some degree. That you just, they're never worn and they're never seen. But years ago, when in a simpler time, the rings weren't quite as out of control and people would wear them once in a while. Uh, And they do tell an interesting story about uh, Steve Blass, who was a pitcher I certainly remember well, um, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, who uh, pitched for them in 1971. That was the We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirate team, which won... uh, Three games in a row, being down 3-1. And he had the Pittsburgh Pirate ring. What happened to Steve Blass is that, you know, we talked about the yips last week, about a pitcher being unable to throw strikes. That's what happened to Steve Blass. So he was on the cusp of what we thought would be a a very promising career. He had some early success and suddenly couldn't throw a strike. Mm -hmm. And within a few years, he was out of baseball. Hmm. And uh, what's interesting is... That he was out of baseball, and the job he got uh, was at Jostens. He was selling rings for Jostens, class rings, and he would be uh, going to uh, to meet students uh, to do demonstrations at schools to try to sell the class ring. Um, and uh, he would pull out. That's when he would wear his World Series ring on a regular basis because it mm-hmm. shows that he, they tell, it was an icebreaker. It's an icebreaker. They say, well, that's starter. an interesting ring you've got. What is that? <laughs> that's he says, I get one says of well, that's a Pittsburgh Pirates. He says, well, what do you know about Pittsburgh? He says, well, I'm Steve Blass. Says, that sounds familiar. I pitched for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I won the last game. I won the World Series. And it would help him do sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bring it up because we have a friend who worked for Jostens for years. Phil. Uh, yeah, Phil Klein. So yeah. he, uh, it's, so you would think that Steve Blass would have been a great salesman for them. Um, and it turns out he couldn't have been too great a salesman because following that, uh, he didn't stick with it. He got a job as a broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Pirates and was extremely successful. So it sounds like much. a better job. Really. It is a better job. Yeah. But they asked him about the, about his experience with Jostens. And he said, you know, I got a lot of funny looks. People said, what are you doing selling rings? You were a star. 
And he said, but Jocelyn's really reached out to higher ex-professional athletes, this is a quote, because they knew what it's like to get their butt kicked and get up out of bed and get in the car and go to work the next morning. You know winning and losing as an athlete, so you're not devastated when you don't get a sale. Right. That's a good uh, lesson for salespeople. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Especially when you have to do cold calls. But I guess if you're selling rings, you're not really doing cold calls. Well, you have these right. long-established relationships. I just can't imagine he wasn't an overwhelming success with that World Series ring. Anyway, uh, in the garden yes. with Margaret Roach. Right. This week, she's writing about lichens. Mm. And apparently there's a new book out, Urban Lichens, a field guide for Northeastern North America uh, by Jessica Allen and James Lendemer. Mm. And uh, I just mentioned it because I've seen a lot of lichens around. And uh, as it turns out, um, it's a somewhat informative article. It turns out this is the thing about lichens. They are not plants and they are not animals. Okay. I still don't know what they are. Yeah. Um, to be honest. The only thing left is minerals, and uh, I don't think they're well, minerals. Well, yeah. here's what they are. They are um, an intensive cooperation between a fungus and an alga or a cyanobacterium, yeah. sometimes all three. Yeah, good. Okay, so that's that stuff that grows on rocks, tree bark. Uh, remember we had those um, old chairs, the... Your little teak. Yeah, the ones you cleaned off. The bench and yeah. rocker that we gave to the kids. Yeah. And it was covered with these green prickly things, yeah. you know, kind That's of scratchy. Um, yeah, those were lichen. That may be the stuff That we was have a on... field day for lichen. Don't we have the, on the rocks downstairs in the... Yes, all That's... over the yard. Yeah. yeah. And the various trees you have lichen growing. Yeah. And uh, they always make me nervous. It's like some fungus. It's like some, you know, when things are going bad, mold grows right. on them. But, it, but uh, they say here that lichens, they call the things they're growing on the substrate. Lichens do not harm the substrate. Okay, look, but do not uh, disturb them. Take a photo, uh, she recommends. Anyway, there's a, lot, a, a fair information about, you know, if you want to, you could learn how to identify the different types. But anyway, number one, I think it's interesting they're not a plant or an animal. Number two, I'm glad to know they're not harming our rocks or our trees by being there. All right. They're somewhat decorative. Yeah. Yeah, there's some decorative, except that you feel like the need to scrub them off every time you see them. I certainly do. Yeah, well, uh, but we shouldn't. Really? We should, we should, yeah. All right, we'll talk about that later. So finally... Uh, and I, Oh, you oh. know, I think some people, you know, and what? animals eat them. So oh, really? They do some good things. And there are those who say, remember in the Bible, manna from heaven? Yeah. Some people think that's a form of lichen. Mm. Strikes me as a little speculative. The uh, final story is about supply chain difficulties. We've all been hearing about supply chain difficulties. Uh, now, there's some concern in the immediate time frame about getting supplies for Thanksgiving, for Thanksgiving right. meals. Right. And already starting hearing noise about, are we going to get enough supplies of things that might be gifts for Christmas? Um, well, the Times has focused on this in the Christmas context in particular, writing about... Uh, uh, a product that's being sold by a fishing company called Catchco. The article is called It's a Merry Fish Mess After All, No Thanks to the Supply Chain. And what the story is about is that Catchco has come up with a new product 
which is an advent calendar for fishing enthusiasts, dubbed 12 Days of Fishmas. And it's a fishing advent calendar. And what the article's about... How does it work? uh, I'm going to give you... I'll give you the details right now. I'm glad you asked that. Apparently... Because usually in an advent calendar, you open a little door. Yes. It, and there's like a little picture or yeah. there's a little piece of candy. In this case, when you open the doors, you get things like plastic worms, silver <laughs> fish hooks, painted lures. Okay? Each of the day. But then you have to go out and do your own fishing. I, so you're I'm, not getting fish. It. It's just an advent calendar. Okay? okay. It's it's not... Uh, it's twenty four ninety. Is that on the, the front of the New York Times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those people scored. Yeah, the front gonna, page of New York Times. They're going to sell a lot of those. Except that they can't get it into the stores. They got to deal with Walmart to sell these things. <laughs> and they, they where are they made? Okay, it's going to be in China. So they had no to get kidding. it from China no to twenty six hundred Walmart stores in the U.S. And they've been. And what the article gives all the de- detail about how they have been striving to get this product from China to these Walmart stores in time. For Christmas, because oh, no, 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 they don't need to get them in time no, for Christmas. Before they need, Christmas, yeah, December first. Yes, you're right. And not only that, it has to be. You got to get them before, so you can right. buy them and give it to somebody. Exactly. So you can open them up. And not only that, but someone said, "Well, look, if it doesn't make it a lot of profit, you'll get it next Christmas." I said, "No, no, it says 2021 on the Fishmas Advent Calendar. We have to get it now." Well, I won't take you through all the details, but uh, finally. After all these travels and stops and starts, um, they now estimate that the calendars will arrive in Walmart stores by November 17, just in time for Black Friday. The calendar's entire trip from factory to store shelves would take about 130 days this year, compared with a typical 60. So it takes more than twice as long, and they're just going to make it. But they think they're going to make it. So you might, you have something to look forward to. That's point one. <laughs> and point two is they say they've already started to uh, design the Fishmas calendar for next year. And they say, really? Is it going to be different? They say, yeah, we're not going to put a year on next year's calendar because we're going to avoid the problem we had this year in case we run into the same kind of supply chain problem. So did you Google this to see if you could order one? Hampson, you know, I don't want to give it away. I, don't I, want to give mean, it away. I wonder what Walmart's doing because I, you do, when you um, are shopping lately, there are situations where um, they tell you it's, things are not in stock. We hope it will be shipping by oh. X date. Let me tell you, whatever, the, whatever message whatever. you were getting on the Walmart website uh, a couple of weeks ago, now that it's been on the front page of the New York Times, I think you're going to be uh, that much more pressed to try to get your Fishmas calendar. Your Fishmas Advent Calendar. It's going to be a hot item. A hot item. All right. Okay. Something to look forward to. All right. So, uh, all right. Anything else? That's it. That's it. I think that's quite enough. Okay. So, back to the cleanse. And uh, this is Tamsin Granger. And Dan Apuhoff. We'll see you again next week with Tamsin and Dan Read the Paper. <laughs>